Hello and welcome to yet another Art of the Mindset podcast with your host, Brian LeSage. And in this podcast, as we know, we like to do what I say, mental gymnastics for entrepreneurial fitness and life elevation. And have your mind kind of blown up and your soul uplifted. That's the goal. So with this, I'm going to say you should fasten your seatbelts because we're in for a ride in this episode. Dr. Brandy is going to be our guest today, and she is a titan in the world of healthcare and wellness. And let me tell you, her insights on <laughs> her insights are like chicken soup of your entrepreneurial soul. Today, we're dive, diving deep into the ocean of mindset to uncover hidden treasures of wisdom that you can actually use, not only to the rock your own world, but to revolutionize your life and business. She's done this through her own practice. She's done it through her own life. And she's really journeyed through this entire process of being who she is now by implementing these same strategies. And so that I just have to say, get ready, buckle up, get a notepad out, start getting some ideas ready to be written down because we have golden nuggets coming your way, hot and heavy. Let's dive in. Dr. Brandy Brown, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and really talk with us about you and your business and what you've overcome. And really, I think anybody's going to really enjoy this show and gaining the most of what you have to offer. Uh, but first and foremost, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. One of my first favorite questions to kind of cue this off into a really fun way is I like to figure out who people were. And I think the most authentic way of figuring that out is by rolling back the wheel of time. Um, so my favorite question is, who was Dr. Brandy Brown on the playground? Who were you as a kid? I mean... I was just a normal kid. I liked to play tetherball and foursquare and, you know, run around with my friends. And I think my um, elementary school was one of the coolest ones. We used to have all kind of like theme days and stuff like that. So, you know, I used to always participate in pretty much everything at school, you know, especially because I was a little weird. So I liked it to do, you know, just, you know, different things that most kids would be like, why would you want to do that? I'm like, it just seemed like fun, you know, just because I got to be, uh, I guess you could say more myself than not myself, you know, because I know I'm a, I have a little, I'm a little weird, just a little bit, you know, so it's just, you know, being able to enjoy being able to be myself, you know, at that time without it being a, a issue per se. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the that's the most authentic component of us and part of us, and I think that's a lot of it where we 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 go in this journey of life and we're trying to find ourselves. And even as a child, there's might be things in, along the way that like we start to suppress because maybe society doesn't like it or we don't feel like society likes it. And for you, in that, was there anything? along your journey in that early childhood to maybe even late childhood that was like, maybe I need to change who I am. Maybe I shouldn't be so weird, as you say, right? I mean, yes and no. Like the friends I had, I would say in elementary school, I felt like I could always be myself. But I think just as a kid, as you know, as you start getting up, up, up and up, you know, in grade levels, like once you get to middle school and then high school, it's almost like you got to feel like you got to find your, your, your tribe of people to, you know, to, to hang with. But there's still some part of that where, you know, people are kind of judging you. So you got to kind of, you know, change little things about you or figure out where can you fit in and who you can fit in with. And, you know, if you're going to fit in with them, what do you have to do a little bit differently? in order for, you know, them to see you as part of their, you know, group or whatever the case may be. So I'd say probably closer to middle school for me, you know, I felt like I had to make some changes and be a little bit different. I, I did have a lot of people. I had a lot of friends, but I also had a good amount of people that like to try to bully me. But 
I never let that happen. Like it was just in me to say, you're not going to take advantage of me. And, you know, I always found myself to be a little bit smarter than some of those so-called bullies. So um, I, I, it was kind of like a, a, a 50-50 for me, you know, trying to find my tribe, but then, you know, still kind of trying to be in myself, which collected the bullies at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anytime you try to go off, I, I like to say like the contrarian principle, like when you go against the grain a little bit, people start to push back on that and start to call it out. And I think we're in a different time now uh, than we were, you know, even 20, 30 years ago where people might've said, you know, let's call this out a little bit more voice of self is starting to be resonated a little bit more. And people are be given that space to kind of be themselves a little bit, which is nice. Um, but those that might be still struggling and maybe listening and saying, Hey, look, I still feel the maybe societal pressures or that bully pressure. It could be even in corporate, like even in business, we know that still kind of exists. It doesn't outgrow. What would you say to those people in that, that you wish you heard back then? Um, I would let them know, of course, it's okay to be who you are because who you are in that moment in time may not be even be who you're going to be five years from now, two years from now, one year from now. You're going to grow no matter what in some direction, you know, but it's where you are right then and there. And I think it's important to find people that can meet you where you are. You know, if they can't meet you where you are, then they're not they're not meant to be a part of, you know, your friend group or, you know, your associates or whoever it is, your 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 coworkers. And at work, yeah, there's a lot of bullying there too. I've been bullied at work many a days. Um, but I think that if you continually do what you know that you're supposed to be doing and you continue to you know, um excel at what you're good at, then, you know, Forget about the haters, you know, just 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 do what you need to do, because in the end, it's going to put you in a better place because there's people that I don't agree with, you know, or hasn't agreed with me in the past, even with work stuff. But in the end, oftentimes they end up having to come back to me because they realize I was actually right, you know, or they can't find someone else to do the same things that I could have done or 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 even be on the same page. So, you know, I think that that's what it comes down to. And even as an adult now, I I will not let childhood uh, issues of, you know, necessarily not fitting in or being bullied be part of my my story now. You know, if if we don't mesh or I feel like, you know, the energy is off somehow or, you know, you're just not that same person in my face, you know, when you're not around me or behind my back or whatever the case may be, as people call it, you know. I just don't, I just don't talk to you. You know, there's no need to be upset. There's no need to argue. There's no need to be mad. It just means that we're not meant to be, you know, in the same space and it's okay. You know, I just continually try to be around people that support me and that I can support because, you know, that's one of my friend assets <laughs> is that I'm very bonuses. supportive. Yeah. I'm very supportive of my friends. You know, I don't feel like there's need to be upset or jealous of anyone. You know, of course, you know, sometimes if people have some good stuff that happens to them, like, dang, I wish that was me. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it, but it's never like, you know, how I want to, you know, I want to talk bad about you or I want to try to sabotage your life <laughs> because, you know, you know, I don't have what you have kind of thing. You know, it's just kind of like I support you and maybe you can be my guide to finally getting where you are, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's true. It's the, it's the human aspect, right? We're a little bit, we say we shouldn't be like envious, but there's a, there's a part of us that's like, God, ma'am, that should be it's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard to not have those things about you being judgmental or envious or jealous. And I tell people all the time, I'm not jealous, but you know, in a, in a, in a nutshell, I'm not, but you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, those thoughts don't go ever go through my mind. Like, dang, you know, I wish I had hair like that or darn, I wish I had a car like that. <laughs> uh, tell me about it. Let me, <laughs> as a bald white man, I'll tell you what, I'll say, I, I have to look at a lot of heads of hair and say, man, I'll take anything you could throw at me. I'll take anything right now. So yeah, I think of those thoughts often. So with that though, I want to say, you know, going back to what you're saying, it's just like, just trying to say, and there's these two principles that always resonate with me. And it's just about, there's two things I can, that in my life that are really important, right? What I can, what I can 
control is basically what I can think and my actions. That's it. Outside of that, I can't control anybody else. I can't change what anybody else is thinking. I can't do anything about for anybody else. So it goes back to what you're saying with that bully aspect of just disconnecting. And maybe you were a people pleaser at one point. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you just were born with the gift of not. But with those that people that struggle with saying like, I care what people think about me, or I care what society thinks about me, or what if I go against the grain and everybody starts to really call me out on that? How do you say to that or even provide wisdom in that saying, hey, look, there's two things that you can control, your thoughts and your actions. That's it. Just focus on that. What do you say to those people that struggle to just see those two two realms of basically what they can control in their life? Well, I have to tell myself those same things. You know, I know they're true. Everybody knows that they're true. (laughs) But it's hard to face that reality, especially when you're in the moment of something that's really like, you're like, I don't understand why they don't see it my way or why they can't just, you know, give it to me the way I want it, you know. But um, I tell patients that I see because I have a, you know, of course, I do some mental health as well. And, you know, that is like, one of the biggest conversations I have with those mental health patients, because that's a lot of times where they are, you know, it's not being able to control the things around them. They're not able to control the people around them the way that they would like to control those people, you know, or people to understand their emotion or their feelings or their thoughts in that moment. Um, So, you know, I say exactly what you just said that, you know, just to remember that you can't, the only thing that you can take control of is going to be your actions and your thoughts. And also I talk a lot about grounding. You know, I tell people sometimes you have to just stop where you are, even if it's to the point where you take your shoes off, (laughs) you know, put your feet on the ground, take a deep breath. And if need be, you know, close your eyes for a second and just be in the moment because sometimes just not being in the moment makes you feel out of control. You know, it's like, you know, there's, you know, the reality of something, but it's almost like you can't do it because you're not there or you're, or you're, or you're in, was it, uh, what is that guy from Ghostbusters? The big marshmallow Michelin looking guy. You're like, (laughs) you're like this big person over it trying to, you know, destroy and fix and figure out what's going on. You're just over everything. So I think that, um, you know, I try to tell them to, 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 in that moment, try to ground yourself and um, change your thinking, change your thoughts, you know, because sometimes people just, people are actually a lot more in favor of whatever they're saying or thinking, but because you're already feeling like you want to control the situation, (laughs) you don't hear that. You hear something else. You know, somebody could be in total agreement with you, but you still hear something different because you're just your 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 immediate need is to control it. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's it's funny how that works. And I think that that and that notion of just taking into the consideration of being open to that idea of different different thoughts and different perspectives. And I think we find ourselves anyone can, um, you know, some of us are able to sip out of it a quicker and some of us are kind of obsessive in that regard, but just saying like, Hey, look, this is the reality for me. So everybody must see the world the same way. Uh, this, this must be the notion for me. Um, but tying back to you and your life journey in this of just the regard of saying childhood's happened, you're going, you're graduating high school, you're moving into college was there any point in time where you started to grasp the understanding that maybe there's different interpretations of life outside of your own? And how do I kind of find myself in that? Where do I go from here? How do I find a job, career, blah, 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 you know, the whole works for you. How was that for you? Well, of course, you know, once, (laughs) once you graduate high school, reality truly hits, you know, um, even for me in college, like high school, like school throughout my years was very easy. I never studied really. 
You know, I read a lot of books. I, you know, I got A's and B's on every, you know, uh, I graduated at the top of my class. But when I hit college, because, you know, it was said you need to go to college. But when I hit college and, and for the first couple of years, I struggled hard, you know, and, you know, trying to have a social life, trying to, you know, actually be a college student, but also learning how to be an adult and how to navigate college how to actually create a study time and, you know, be on top of homework without someone saying, did you do your homework? (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. You know, it was a, it was a struggle. Like it was a struggle. And I, I honestly did not do well the first two years of college. You know, of course there's a couple of classes I did really well in because they were easy, but you know, the, the classes that mattered, I did not do well. Um, so I had to step back you know, and take a little time from college. I even had to go to a a junior college for a little while to really get, you know, um, the credits I needed before I could do much more. And it, it hurt a little bit because, you know, again, back then it was like going to a university and after being accepted to like so many different colleges and to realize that now I had to go and pull myself back to being at a junior college and getting a job and (laughs) doing all this other stuff. Like it just seemed different. But what I can say is that it was actually a good learning experience overall. You know, I got to learn a little bit more about life. I realized that maybe college isn't necessarily for everybody or maybe it's not an immediate thing for, you know, everybody. You know, maybe you need a little bit of life experience to figure it out. But I know even for my son, I, I've put him in that place. Like I encouraged him to do different things, you know, but college was pretty much where he ended up. But I had to remind him what my, what I learned, you know, kids tend to forget, uh, tend to don't want to take that advice. But I had to tell him like, hey, the first year is going to be super hard. I promise you, you know, it's going to be hard to try to balance life. And seeing what it is like to have to be truly responsible for yourself, you know, <laughs> you know, when to wake up, when to show up, you know. Yeah, all of that. yeah. you can skip class easy. You can easily skip class or nobody forcing you out the door. Yes. So it I think that um, I think we all have to just kind of figure out our pathway. And I, I don't think there's any one way to get there. I just think that if we can avoid the. <laughs> the hurdles that we can because we do take advice from somebody who's done it. I think it would benefit some of us a whole lot more to have known these things in advance because you're better to navigate it. You know, you can kind of pre-plan what might happen, although, you know, you can't, you don't know for sure, but, you know, you can kind of at least work with it a little bit, you know, (laughs) and be prepared for it. Yeah, absolutely. For me in my life, in my journey is similar. You know, I didn't go to university right away. I actually went to a community college and I went and went that same route of just saying like, Hey, look, I know it was forced down me of saying like, this is a pathway. We're seeing, we're seeing a change, you know, we're seeing university and college and other alternatives pop off, you know, and start to make themselves apparent a little bit more. But can't I can't agree more than what you said of just saying like you know maybe it's not for everybody maybe maybe there's a point in, in reference of saying hey look this is this is something that we we need to uh, readjust on or, or reanalyze and say hey look maybe this is not for me at this time and and pull away a little bit like you did in that for you how did that go? Where did you go from there of saying like university to junior college? Did you start to major in something else? Did you find a skill set? Where did you go into? Well, my goal was always in the healthcare field. That was always the plan. Um, so when I went from the university trying to do um, what really killed me was organic chemistry. That was like the hardest thing ever. I was like, That's brutal. And I never That's used brutal. it. I was like, why? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> But (laughs) when I finally went to junior college, um, it was similar as far as what my major was. Um, And then when I was like, okay, I really need to be working. I need to do these things. So, you know, yeah, I picked up a trade. I did CNA work for a while. Then eventually I decided to um, do a um, licensed vocational nurse nursing school to get my, you know, diploma there. But even in that route, you know, I had kept doing a lot of just general education classes with um, junior college just because I knew I had 
things I was going to have to have in order to get to my RN at some point. Um, so eventually when I did move from San Diego to where I live now in Atlanta, um, I was able to work though. You know, I was able to really make money between leaving San Diego to coming here because I had something under my belt, which was beneficial to me. My goals were still going to be the same. It just meant now I, I could make the money that I needed to make. It was going to be a little bit harder, you know, of course, <laughs> but you know, it, it worked for me. You know, so once I got here, I worked well and then I found, you know, a couple programs that would work that I could work with and work around my schedule. And, you know, I took um, I took more vocational steps to get to to my next degree. You know, so I had done so much junior um, junior um, community college that I ended up with an associate's uh, degree there. And then I got my associate's degree as, you know, as an RN at at a, you know, a couple years right after that. And then, you know, from there, BSN, MSN, so on, DMP, then a post certificate. So like, I just, I kept going from there, but everything was, it took a little creativity and no, you know, I didn't go to all the, you know, colleges that most people would consider to be prestigious and all this, that, and the other. It wasn't about that, you know, for me. I mean, of course, I tried to pick schools that had good programs, but it was more about getting to my goal. You know, at that point, it it just didn't work for me to go the traditional way. I didn't, you know, have all the college scholarships after the first couple of years, you know, needed and, you know, just had to maneuver my way through life in that way. But I think that as, for me, as, I feel like as long as you stay focused on what it is that you want to do. You can do it. It, it may take a little, you know, <laughs> maneuvering here and there. You may have to go some different ways, but it's very possible. And I noticed, you know, even after school, though, you know, some of the employer employing hospitals and stuff like that, they would make commentary to why they didn't hire certain people because it was based on the schools that they went to. And I'm just kind of like, that doesn't justify, you know, whether you're going to have a good employee or a good nurse in any shape, form or fashion, because even some of those people that went to those big schools were not great nurses. Yeah. hundred percent. Let's call it out. <laughs> so I was like, it didn't really make much sense, but you know, I mean, of course I've never really been hindered too much, but it was just a conversation that really made, makes it harder for other people that want to take that road to make the decision that's best for them, you know, because some people never get to the goal because they couldn't take a different road that would have been better for them because they're worried about, you know, who's going to let them come into their, their place of employment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of obstacles in that, you know, and <clears throat> there's a lot of people that might talk themselves out of doing something along those lines because, you know, uh, I didn't get accepted into this procedure school, so there's no option. Um, so they talk themselves right out of it. So, and I think that's, that's, that's wholeheartedly with something along the lines of same, same exact walk of my entire life, you know, it was just with you and me and the same exact thing. We're just saying, look, we didn't go the same ways, but we wanted to get into healthcare ultimate goal. But for you in that, how did you find yourself getting to the point of saying, hey, I'm going to keep going. I got my BSN. You know, there's people that stop there. You know, how did, where did that come and say, no, that's not enough. I want my MSN. That's not enough. I need my, you know, FMP. Now I want to start my business. Like, where's that Dr. Brandy from, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I said, healthcare was always the plan. Um, Honestly, I think as a kid, I wanted to be a doctor at first. But then when I got to, you know, 15 and we got to be in the healthcare system and I got to really be around nursing and seeing how nursing was, I was like, you know, nursing was possibly where I wanted to be. But also when I was in college the first couple of years, I did find out about being a PA and I was wondering what that was. I didn't even know about nurse practitioner at the time. So I was like, oh, well, maybe that's another route. I don't have to spend, you know, umpteen years in school. I can still be at a level that, you know, I was going to be okay with, you know, being at that point. But of course, you know, once I became a nurse and I got to learn the different areas and the different uh, levels that I can actually go to and I realized, hey, I'm doing the doctor's work half the time anyway. Why not, you know, go to the next level? And I don't mean that, you know, to minimize MDs in any shape, form or fashion. But the truth of the matter is, you know, working in a hospital, even in a you know, clinics or operating, we spend a lot more time with the patients anyway. Um, 
you know, having physicians say, hey, what 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 would you order? How do we get paid for that? <laughs> so I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> You're getting the thousands of dollars. I'm getting this little fee every hour to do this basic. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, for me, it was like, okay, well, if I become a practitioner, that means basically now I get to be a provider. I get to provide the same care that the physicians are providing, you know, at my level, you know, and that's just like I said, that's where I'm going. And, you know, the DMP part and all that, and, you know, anything after that came just based on, you know, the way society talks about, oh, well, you're going to need this at some point. You're going to need that at some point. So for me, it was like, all right, I'm going to be prepared because I don't want it to be an issue later. And then everybody's trying to do the same thing that I'm doing like they are now, (laughs) you know, in order to, you know, get there. And now, you know, prices are higher. You know, everybody's trying to get in. They're changing up a lot of things to try to, you know, manage the crowd. Um, So that's why I kept going more so. It wasn't even about, you know, having a doctorate because I was fine being at a master's level. But, you know, knowing that, you know, I apologize. Knowing that um, my um, industry was going up towards, you know, a more... um, advanced terminal type of degree, um, it was important for me to be at the top of that so that I'm not out here looking for work or, you know, looking to, you know, get to a job that I wanted to be at. Um, Does my terminal degree necessarily mean that I make extra money? No, (laughs) we haven't gotten there. Um, Does it make me an even better practitioner? More so, I would say, in others' eyes. To me, I think I was a great practitioner beforehand. I feel like now it's just another degree that I ended up being in debt for. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you there. That's true. So, with with that of just moving into it, and maybe those that might not know, you know, with, with nurse practitioners, maybe you can elaborate on it, you know, the difference of what a PA could do versus a nurse practitioner and why you went into the route of saying, hey, look, I don't want to be a PA. I want to be a nurse practitioner due to the regard of I can open up my own practice. You know, what What for you was the deciding factor of just saying, let me not do this nurse practitioner or PA route. Let me go this nurse practitioner route. Well, I mean, one reason was, of course, I didn't end up staying at the school I was at, you know, at that time that had the program and I hadn't really like dove into, you know, more about it. I just knew the basics of the program itself. But because I ended up going on the nursing track and found out, hey, this is this is the new route you can go to. You don't have to become a PA. You 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 have your own degree track that you can take that will bring you to the next level that you want to go to. That's why I kind of stayed there. I mean, should anybody be a PA? Of course, if you're not already a nurse and this is where you want to be, then definitely. On some level, I kind of feel like, you know, this is my professional opinion, you know, um, there needs to be a better managing of who can become a PA in a sense, because you can become from any background and become a PA. And I don't think that that makes a whole lot of fairness to those that maybe have already been in the medical field for a period of time and then they decide to take this track. I think it should really be like you need to have some type of science background. Uh, I feel like it's going to make you a better person or a better provider overall, you know, because even as a nurse and becoming an MP, I tell MPs or nurses that want to just jump to the next level and the schools that are allowing it, which, you know, I, I really, it really bothers me is that you need to get experience. You need to do different things in your career first before you jump to this next level. I feel like you can't give better care if you don't have the experience under your belt, you know? Um, but as a nurse practitioner, the difference between us and the and the, and the uh, PA is that one, we have two licenses. We have to have an RN license and we have to have the practitioner license in order to actually practice. Um, we 100% are, um, I don't know how to say this, we are licensed to do more, if that makes sense, because we're already licensed as nurses. So we can work under a nursing practice already, but the MP just kind of enhances what we already can do. 
And we don't have to necessarily work under a physician. We don't have to be signed off by them. We don't have to do um, a lot of things that we don't have to do the same type of education either. And not because our education is less in any shape, form or fashion. It's because, you know, this role was set because we already were nurses. So you've already got clinical experience. You've already got, you know, one or two degrees under your belt. So this is like the next step versus the physician assistant who hasn't worked in this this area before. They haven't done the nursing part before. They've come from biology or chemistry. Some people have said they used to work at McDonald's at one point, but it's 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 because we already have a certain level of healthcare experience is why we're we're where we are. Um, and that double degree kind of gives us that extra, you know, oomph <laughs> into uh, where we are. And not because, you know, PAs are horrible people or they're less professional or any of that, because I know some great PAs, actually. Um, there's just a difference in how we view things in practice, because also, you know, physicians work more so like they are um, physicians. You know, uh, PAs are basically what they say, physician assistants. So they view how they treat patients and medicine pretty much the same, you know, um, and nurses kind of still stick to the nursing ide- ideation when we're treating patients. As far as the whole thing, we're not really looking at just the science part. We're looking at the whole patient per se, and we're kind of staying on a nursing role, a nursing uh, philosophy when we're treating. So there's a little bit of a difference in how we manage things. And I'm not saying all physicians or PAs are the same, but that's the ideation behind theirs versus ours. Um, some of them practice very much so like I do, but some of them, a majority of them do not. You know, it's more science and focus based. And uh, although our education tracks are different, I feel personally and professionally like we ultimately have more education in a lot of ways and experience because those of us that did, you know, do what should have been done, which was be an RN for a period of years and then go back and, you know, kind of go from there. You kind of already have that, <laughs> you know, that patient care up under your belt. You already have that experience under your belt. So we're just now advancing where we are to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. You're understanding a little bit more of the, <clears throat> I guess, the holistic track of a patient's experience, you know, you know, you're understanding the, the, the long-term care initiative there. I was just saying like, how do we get this person back out there holistically, completely, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, if you think about it, especially working in the hospital, we deal with the whole person, you know, we're dealing with their family, we're dealing with their mental health, you know, we're dealing with their physical, we're dealing with their emotional, we're there for 12 hours at a, you know, per shift, you know, dealing with this person versus somebody that's just coming in, you know, saying, Hey, how you doing? Let me listen to your lungs. Let me, let me check your belly. All right. Well, we want these orders done <laughs> and they get to leave. And then leave. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think, in, yeah, that, that speaks into a component of the healthcare system in general, you know, just again, that, that, that change. And I think a lot of it, um, positionally changed. I think a lot of people are noticing that the healthcare system is kind of abandoning the patient, right? It's not patient-centered. And that's where we're trying to, as as hospital systems are starting to step up, physicians are starting to step up, nurse practitioners are starting to say, hey, look, my workload's too heavy. I want to be more focused in my patient's experience, a little bit more patient-centered. Um, is that kind of how you found yourself in your in your regard of where you are now with your business? What caused you to say, hey, look, I love the hospital-based stuff, but I think I think there's a gap here. What what made you do that? For me, eventually just the requirements of the hospital were becoming more than what I wanted to spend my day doing, you know. Um, also, you know, me personally, um, I got tired of checking in, you know, hey, can I have this day off or, you know, being on call or, you know, all of those different things. Like it, it just was like, it's, it's, I'm not being paid enough for that. And if I just want to live my life to go and do this, do that, or if I'm sick, I, or I just don't want to go to work today, I want to be able to do that without being penalized for it. You know, I want to be able to manage that. But also, you know, I don't agree with all the politics and all the healthcare policies that are out there because a lot of them do hinder, you know, the way we care for people and what we can do for them. And, you know, insurance companies being so stuck on being in control 
of what we do because, you know, they're paying out money, but I'm like, you know, the, the people <laughs> are paying even more in. So I'm really confused how that works exactly. But, uh, you know, having all those things kind of swaying on you, you want to try to have as much independence as you can in this field, you know, once you get to this point. And, uh, you know, what made me really wanted to do that was because I just felt like I could, I could give more one-on-one care to each patient that I see being in my own space. I'm not necessarily required to see this amount of patients in a day. I'm not required to spend 15 minutes every single patient. Like, you know, that got old, you know, seeing 60 and 70 patients in a day and trying to remember everything you needed to do for them or if they call back asking questions, like, who is that? <laughs> you don't remember anybody. Yeah. What's your name again? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, me just being able to be in a space where I can practice how I want to practice. Do I want to grow my business a bit more? Of course. But I also, you know, keep myself in a place where I'm actually free to, to be flexible. So if I don't want to work my own practice and I want to go work somebody else's or travel somewhere else, I'm able to do that. And it's on my terms, you know, and that goes for, you know, just even traveling, you know, I let people know what my terms are and they either agree with it or they don't, you know, it's not going to change anything for me. Um, but you know, but now when I'm in the office, if it's, if it's only five patients for the day, then it's five patients for the day, but they all got my individual attention and I was able to assist them the way I needed to give it, you know, I was able to assist them the way that they needed to be. It wasn't, I walked in, I asked three questions and I didn't touch them and I left. (laughs) And I left. Yeah. (laughs) You know, thousand dollars later. Thank you. Yeah. I'm able to sit down. Do I get paid appropriately for that? No. But at the end of the day, that isn't why I got in healthcare. True enough. I would love to make way more money, but it doesn't always work. But you know, but I got into it because I wanted, I like teaching patients. I like caring for people. I like providing, you know, wellness information and just even care itself. You know, I love doing procedures and doing all that kind of fun stuff. Like it, it interests me and it keeps me on my toes, but it also keeps me, keeps my patient on their toes because I, I'm knowledgeable. I can help them. I can, you know, put them in the right direction. And they're not just trying to figure out the system. You know, I'm, I'm able to give them some insight, you know, overall, not just on my side, but even as a just a person, you know, I've dealt with that insurance company before as a patient. So I understand your, your grief, you know, <laughs> so I can give them a little insight there, too. That's so true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that human aspect a little bit more. And maybe some people that are listening, you know, don't understand it completely. And I, I have an understanding of that. You know, I got my master's in health science and then I started studying policy and healthcare law in the United States. Of just knowing how a lot of physicians are starting to step away and create this concierge type service with concierge physicians or concierge services within a healthcare uh, setting or an outpatient facility, you know, where you're going to your primary care. How would you explain to somebody that's never heard of this before and they're looking into it? I would explain to them that um, the concierge service, um, that there's two types, you know, there's the one that's still kind of functioning with your insurance and then there's one that's not. So you have one that functions with your insurance in the sense of we still bill your insurance for the basic stuff that we have to, that's required under our contract with them to do it. But then these are these enhanced services for you that are not covered by your contract. And and this is what your fee would be for, you know, this is for the house call. This is for, you know, that, um, return call within two hours. This is that same day prescription. This is that, you know, this is that immediate and rapid response kind of thing, or, you know, um, enhanced appointments or, you know, immediate appointments kind of thing that your insurance doesn't necessarily provide us extra money for, or um, doesn't actually um, help us with. And then you have the one that is just, you know, um, where you, um, you don't have any insurance. But now you're paying for pretty much the same services, but also you're getting a visit in there. You're getting, you know, that physical in there, um, but at a at a certain fee. We've created a fee schedule or a monthly fee that would include these services for you. So if it's a, you know, one to two sick visits a month plus, you know, same day appointment if needed, a telehealth you know, two telehealth visits and, you know, same day prescription or, or one house call or whatever it might be, 
you know, these things are included in this package. It's kind of like a package deal <laughs> for a certain amount of money that may be a whole lot less than you're paying for, you know, your insurance. However, <laughs> it does not follow you into the to the to the ER or to the hospital. Yeah, that catastrophic, that catastrophic insurance, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole another. Yeah, that's a whole different separate situation. However, because you don't pay five hundred, six hundred dollars a month in, in healthcare, and you're maybe paying me two fifty, you can take that other two fifty and just keep it saved up in case there's a hospital stay. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of different ideas there with that, and the, yeah, it, it's interesting on how that's starting to become a trend, you know, of this concierge type services of saying, hey, look, I, I love my primary, but, you know, maybe I don't like going in and then being like, what's uh, your name again? You know, like what looking at your patient record, name and date of birth. You're like, I've seen you like my entire life. You should kind of know <laughs> me by now. <laughs> right. Like, so uh, that kind of stuff, look, people are looking to be personalized. You know, they want to see their physician say, hey, look, like how are the kids, how are the fam, how's the, you know, this, that, and the other. And that's what you're starting to see with this concierge stuff. So with that, do you think there's a maybe a mindset shift within not just the society, but also practitioners? Do you see practitioners saying, hey, look, there's nothing getting changed in Medicare, Medicaid payouts. You know, we're just not getting the fee structures, the way of reimbursement like we expected. You know, they're, they're really hard to get coding. We need, obviously, there are always these incremental changes, like we need to be interoperable. We need to communicate, which are all good things. But then the reimbursement rates don't compound on investments to kind of equalize what I've had to put out to make myself in a structure and way I can communicate to everyone with an ERH, you know, electronic health record or anything along those lines. Do you see more physicians changing the way they see uh, patient care to be more concierge focused or patient focused? I think some are. I think there, you know, there, there's a, there's a good bit that are very much so starting to see that, but they're also looking at the financial benefits to it. I mean, ultimately, because I mean, truth be told, just like anyone else, you want to be paid for your job. You want to be, you know, paid for your time. So I think that they, you know, they see the benefit to their patients getting that, you know, to an extent. Um, but that's also why even those concierge practices minimize the amount of patients that they actually have on their concierge team, because they know they can't, I can't manage 10,000 patients anymore, you know? Not on a concierge level, you know. Not on a concierge level, no. Yeah, because it's no longer concierge. It's just like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Take your number. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's, you know, kind of the benefit there. And, you know, people are starting to figure out, hey, if I keep, you know, 300 to 500 patients max, you know, as my patients, I can maintain my practice and life you know, be able to pay the bills and everything else um, compared to, you know, not having that. And I think that, you know, ultimately people are starting to see that because, you know, the truth of the matter is healthcare professionals, especially providers, I don't care if you're MD, PA or MP, people are getting burnt out. They don't want to do that patient care part anymore because they're seeing in these, you know, facilities, especially healthcare organizations, like their minimum is like 40 patients a day or 50 or 60. And you're like, I don't want to be this, you know, bogged bog down. And everybody is not, you know, um, good with their time. So, you know, still working after the fact, after hours and your salary, like it's, it starts to become like a thing. Like I can't do this anymore. I don't get to spend time with my family. I can't have a glass of wine because I'll be drunk trying to finish all these charts, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's just a thing, you know, and, and you're not, and the pay is not matching the time and the effort that you're putting in, you know? And um, so I think that people are starting to see that, which is why a lot of people are trying to start practices and so forth. However, I've also noticed that some of those practices have turned into those same practices that they call themselves getting away from, you know, scheduling 30 and 40 and 50 patients in a day. And they're getting burnt out in their own practice. And it's like, you got to come up with a different idea. It's either you know, you do 20 patients in a day, you know, five days a week, and maybe do a supplemental something, or maybe you throw in telehealth instead, 
or something of that nature, you know, something to where you don't feel so bogged down, but people are still finding that if I don't meet this amount of patients in a month or in a week, I'm not going to have what I need. And that's the sad part because insurances are regulating what we get paid, what we get reimbursed, not not what we should be, not what we bill, you know, and it's kind of sad and it's and it's bad for not just us, but it's bad for the patient because we have to somewhat um, conduce, you know, um, con- conduce what we do for them because we have to stay in these guidelines because it's like, I can't give you $750 of my time <laughs> and effort and I'm only going to get $150. Like, it's not fair to me if I'm doing all this extra work for you. So sometimes patients are really upset about things that you may charge them for or you tell them you can't do that this visit. We'll have to see you again in two weeks. And they're like, I don't want to pay a copay. And, I, you know, sometimes it's like, but I want to be paid. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, how, you know, it, it's a fluctuation of, you know, the barriers and the understanding. And I think patients don't understand our end of it too much. And we sometimes don't really understand the patient's end of it, you know, because we're both looking at two different aspects, you know, of that. Yeah. Two different goals, you know, you know, targets, if you will. And the financial target is kind of changing, <clears throat> you know, for the patient per se of saying like, hey, look, I should, I give you this amount of money. I should just be able to get X, Y, Z. But there's this middleman reality that just is kind of suppressing the amount of payouts of just saying, hey, look. And that's why it's kind of funny sometimes for me and maybe others that are listening or noticing as well, and you probably as well, is just saying like, hey, look, when you do this self-pay concierge stuff, I'm paying technically less, but getting more, you know, I'm getting more time. I'm getting more recognition. I'm getting more response. You know, I'm, 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 things are happening faster. There's not this approval process of this four, two, two, four, six, eight week pr- approval process for MRI. You know, there's, there's things that are changing a little bit faster. So I'm, I'm interested and I bet you are as well of just where do you see things moving in the next five, 10, 15 years with healthcare in regard to patients focused mindset to practitioners focused mindset to where's insurance find themselves i think insurance honestly is going to at some point start being less and less of a thing like people may still keep it for you know um what is it? yeah catastrophic kind of stuff yeah mm-hmm. catastrophic type policies you know just in case you know there's a thing but the truth of the matter is if you really think about it if you pay cash to get seen by your provider on a regular basis you know it's not every week every month per se you know every couple of months get checked in the chances of that catastrophic need minimize that much more you know, the, the chance of you needing it has decreased even more. So, you know, most people that end up there, it's some freak accident that happened or it's because they just haven't gotten seen in I don't know how long and some random thing pops up and they're like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, like, how did I get diabetes? Well, you haven't been to the doctor in 10 years. So, <laughs> you know, you don't know. But I think that it's definitely going to be less of that because even with, you know, all these government, you know, programs that have been put in place, it's like, it doesn't benefit me because everybody doesn't qualify. And even those that do, the fees are still like four or $500 a month. And people are like, listen, I haven't gotten a pay raise. You know, nothing's changed in how much I'm making. It's still the same, but yet the fees are going up every year. <laughs> and you're getting less and less and less services, you know, that the insurance company is offering. So it's kind of like, okay, so you're collecting all this money from me plus a deductible every year and I get less and less services or I got to jump through hoops to get it. Or, you know, if I'm jumping through the hoops, you're still denying me. I think that once, honestly, someone can explain it to individuals and let them see that although they feel like it's a lot of money doing concierge, even though honestly, they're they're really spending a lot less because they're not paying that deductible plus a $500 fee. And let's just say you work in Let's say you were paying $500. There's no deductible now. You're not paying an additional $7,000 deductible to get your family covered. You know, you're paying $500 for your whole family to be covered, you know, in one office. 
So, you know, I think that once people kind of understand the concept a little bit more, I honestly think that patients will probably stop doing less insurance. As long as the program is available at an office that they want to be at, I think that more people will start picking up that that opportunity to get those things, you know, and have that one-on-one care and knowing that they they don't have to jump through hoops to get the MRI. If I say I want to order you MRI, this place over here takes cash and they reduce the fee for my patients to... 350 for whatever body part, <laughs> just go there. And they'll be fine with that. They'll be like, cool, you know, perfect. You know, I don't have to pay, you know, the 1500 that the insurance was going to charge me <laughs> to show up for that MRI, you know? So, and I just see it becoming a real thing, but I also see wellness becoming even bigger to the point where, you know, we're going to see less of all of the chronic stuff that we have going on because people are going to start to are starting to take more note to that. They're like, oh, I don't want to take these pills. I don't want to do. And of course, don't get me wrong. Some people, they have no choice. It just is what it is. However, there's so many more that are, you know, taking more initiative and, and realizing, hey, I haven't been to the doctor in a while. I really need to do these things. You know, how can I you know, manage my wellness versus how can I manage this chronic illness, you know, kind of scenario. And I think the more that even me as a provider and any other provider pushes that for them, I think that they will be more inclined to understand and be happier with the outcome versus, you know, something else popping up. And now they're frustrated because now they got to jump through all these hoops. Yeah. And their risk pool has gone up or they're in a higher paying risk pool because they have whatever going on, you know, and then they're like premiums go up and they're like, why? So yeah, I think I totally agree with the guard of, you know, just, I think wellness is being in, you know, it used to be health care. I think it's gonna be health and wellness care, you know, where we're really starting to change the, the, the notion and people are starting to say like, let me think about the food I'm eating. Let me think about the stress I'm around. Let me think about the emotional, mental components of myself a little bit more. And we're starting, starting to realign in this holistic reality of you know, we're not a, a singular individual where this one health issue is just one thing, you know, or a multicellular individual with this multi-complex system that's running and operating. So why am I just trying to do this reductionistic reality where I'm just trying to pinpoint one issue? You know, we've all heard the medications out there. I'm just saying like, here's a high blood pressure medication, but uh, uh, FYI, there's a little side effect there. You might have some increased risk for blah, 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 blah. You know, well, what's, where's the healthy route? Where's the holistic component where I can change my diet, reduce hypertension or blood pressure and reduce diabetes risks? So I think like you said, that's happening. So with that in mind, and also tying back to where you are, we're coming to the end of the show and it's been a great conversation, but going back to who you've been in your entire journey and and figuring that out of just saying, Hey, look, here's where I'm at now. I'm starting to change the way I'm practicing. I'm seeing it's changing the way I'm seeing my patients. What would you advise to people to read or to consume, to start to empower themselves, to understand their body? in a more holistic way? Well, I'm not going to say be, you know, Google too much, but there is some actual good stuff on Google. And look, you know, for me, it's like, look for things that are um, reputable. You know, you can't use Wiki or Wikipedia (laughs) and say, I found the information because it's not a real thing. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I encourage people to, um, you know, Look about, you know, stop looking for information on illness per se. Look up information on wellness. How can I do better? How can I, you know, have better skin? How can I have a clearer mind? How can I have better teeth? Like, I don't know how many people I talk to that come in and say they haven't been to dentist and I don't know how long. I was like, how is that even possible? Like your teeth are so important if your overall health that you need to be in the dentist Every six months, like they suggest and and more if it's required, you know, there's all kind of blood vessels and, and open, you know, access to the rest of your body in your mouth. And people don't understand, you know, that's why it's important. People, you know, need to look up things about gut health. That's a, that's like 70 percent of our immune system sits right there. And as long as, you know, that's not healthy, you're, the rest of your body is not going to be 100 percent healthy. You're not going to be able to eat the way you want to eat. You're you know, you're not going to metabolize the way you need to metabolize. Like those things are important. Drinking water is important. 
you know, people hate drinking water. Yeah, there's not the best tasting water out there everywhere, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You know, would you rather live to 50 or 80? You know, what's more important for you to see your grandchildren or, you know, see your children be grown and do things or would you rather not be here? You know, you know, I encourage people. I I 100 percent believe in herbs and supplements and so forth. So I encourage people when I talk to my patients, even so about, you know, those different types of things that they can try and the different ways they can try them and how they can help them. I'm not I'm not going to say I'm an herbal expert, but, you know, I I know quite a bit, you know, and I and I keep those things as something that I even study on the side and and, and utilize books and so forth to find the information I need. And I even try a lot of those things on myself because I also want to be an experiment to where I can, you know, suggest things and encourage people, you know, to try them because I've even tried them. So I'm not going to tell you something that I wouldn't do myself. I'm telling you things that I would do myself. On purpose. And although, you know, research is a big deal and I, you know, I work with in research oftentimes and so forth, research is still very limited. It's limited to a group of people. It's limited to a certain type of group of people oftentimes. So what works for that group of people, it may not work for this group of people. So we need to be, you know, conscientious of that too. You know, people go and say, um, well, so-and-so tried this and it worked well for them. For them, it could be a friend, it could be a family member. I'm like, but your body is different than theirs. Doesn't matter if you're related, <laughs> your body's still different than them. So your needs are going to be different than theirs. Um, so I just, I don't know. I my, I guess what I'm saying is that I really, in, I encourage everybody to con, to treat themselves as an individual, as I'm going to treat. I'm not going to treat them based on however many other people. I might tell you that I've had great success with something from many other people, but we'll see how it works for you. I have a feeling it's going to go well just based on, you know, information that I get from you. But let's see how it works for you, because what worked for 15 other people may not work for you. Maybe the total opposite, (laughs) you know, and I have to come up with something new. So I would just encourage people to start researching wellness, things that they can do to keep themselves well, you know, and it's going to be self-care. It's going to be, you know, working on your mental health. It's going to be, you know, eating the things you don't want to (laughs) eat. You know, and I never really try to tell people to necessarily be on diets. I know we have different. And when I say diet to people, they think, oh, I have to be on this, you know, particular thing where I can't do this and I can't do that. When I say diet, you know, that is a scientific word for what you're eating, period. It's not necessarily, you know, you can't have this and you can't have that type of thing. You know, so I encourage people all the time, you know, we have to go to the grocery store, most of us. Most of us don't live on farms. We don't have the cows and the pigs and all that stuff to do our own thing. You know, some of us try to do gardens and that's great. Um, But when you go to the grocery store, just read your labels and try to pick things that you that seem a little bit more healthy. They may not be. They may very well still have some of those things in there that they say they don't have, you know. But when you get home, clean your food and cook it appropriately, you know, use more natural spices. You know, maybe you're going to grill more. Maybe you're going to bake more. You know, um, maybe you're going to air fry instead of actually using, you know, half a bottle of grease to, to fry something. You know, just pick different ways to manage it, you know, and do everything in moderation. You know, if you love to have fried fish, great. You can have it every day. You can have it maybe, you know, Wednesdays is fried fish day and you can have one to two pieces and that's it, <laughs> you know, and let's be done with it. You know, but it's just teaching people to have moderation and thinking well in their mind when they're doing these things. You know, how can I do better, you know, and not just indulge in so much so that you can't stop indulging, you know. And I always tell people have a cheat day or a cheat, you know, meal or whatever that where you got to indulge just a little bit differently than you usually do. But I tell people don't deprive yourself of the things that you love just to be well. Just be smarter about how you manage it and how you cook it, what you buy, you know, all of those things. Just be smarter about those things and 
you'll be okay. Because I'm positive there's people that's 100 years old that eat pretty good food. They're not just eating grass. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not just eating that quinoa soup no. over there, you know, <laughs> that kale soup over there. It's like, this, this. Yeah. yeah. So, no, it's so, so true. And I think that that's, that's a good point. And I, I liked the where you emphasized it of the point of focus on what you're looking up. You know, a lot of people are looking up, I have this symptom, what's wrong with me kind of stuff versus how do I become blank? You know, how do I become healthy? How do I eat healthy? What are healthy meals? Just changing that little notion of searching what's wrong with you versus how do I become is a huge mindset shift of just saying, look, I'm looking at what's, I'm trying to find what's wrong with me. Reductionistic. There's obviously a problem. Let's delete it to I want to change my life for the better. I know I can be healthy. I know I can make those right choices. So that's that's a huge part I want to just highlight in, in what you said and just changing the way in which you're looking up things and, and searching for things. So, okay, last question. We're coming to the end. Sorry to hold you. We're going long here. But what is, what are you, Dr. Brandy Brown, most excited about for the future? What What is one thing that are you are just over the moon about, can't wait for it to happen. This is something that I'm just energized about. Honestly, honestly, just to see where I go from here. Um, you know, I, I work, I'm working really hard to make my mark in the world. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, I can't wait to be, you know, all the walk of fame or something of that nature. But, <laughs> you know, I just, I want to know for me, like, how I impact, you know, the world and the people around me in the future. Because at some point in time, no, I'm not going to be able to practice. I'm not going to be able to be the same person. I'm not going to be able to do all the same things. But, you know, when I get to that point, I want to, I want to know that I've made a difference and, and I can see the difference in the world. Like I'm looking forward to seeing how much we grow as a society, but how, how did, how did Brandy, how did Dr. Brandy provide that to the world? You know, how did I impact that? How did I make that be a part of, you know, the future? So when I'm no longer here, I would love to know that my name still gets said every now and then like, yes, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I just because, you know, for me, it's like I want to make the world a better place overall. You know, it's not the we are the world kind of scenario, but it's more of a of, a, you know, I want to know that my time here meant something. My time here created a better future for the next generation and for those that are coming behind me, you know, to know that we're going in a more positive place because we've had so much negative stuff that has happened over what the last five years alone, you know, <laughs> you know, I want to know that, you know, we started to create better um, impacts on the world as we, you know, go into this next, you know, um, phase of our lives. And even in healthcare, you know, healthcare keeps kind of just going up and down. You know, you had a time where, yeah, the doctor came to your house, they knew your whole family, you know, it was one of those things and everybody knew who you were. And then it got to the point where, you know, now we're fighting over who can be in charge and what, you know, male versus female, who can do what and all that other good stuff, you know. And then it gets down to now we have insurance companies, you know, deciding what healthcare looks like for us. I'm just hoping that it gets to a point where there's a lot more uh, of a, le a level playing field where, you know, we're not looking at always practicing to fix disease you know, education hopefully will start looking more towards how do we keep people well? How do we teach wellness to the patients from, from the get-go? You know, yeah, you have diabetes, but I want to teach you wellness. It's not just about me treating the disease that you have. It's about me teaching you wellness of how to maintain it, you know, to have a longer life where your kidneys are lasting longer. You know, your blood sugar is lasting longer. You are actually, you know, maintaining a reasonable weight for yourself, you know. I want to have that conversation with you. I don't want to be, you know, having the conversation of, oh my gosh, look at your blood sugars. They're still in the 300s. <laughs> Let's talk about this medication, this new medication that we have to get to. You know, I want it to be to a point where no matter what your healthcare level is, we're, we're always being able to talk about wellness. How do we keep you here? How do we keep you stable? 
I want you to be just as dedicated. I want to see people that are just as dedicated to their health as I am to their health. And I think part of that is just going to be education overall, you know, teaching people and being understanding of where they are, you know, overall and um, helping them to understand it better. Because a lot of times it's just a misunderstanding and not really getting it per se, or just not having information and people just go with whatever. So I'm excited just to see how overall my business itself grows, I grow and what you know, overall healthcare is going to look like in the future. And I'm hoping that, you know, I was one of those people that helped to, you know, advance it and make it better. Yeah. I can't see you not being one of those people. So it's been, it's been a great conversation that we've had here for the past hour. And, uh, just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and just really opening up and expressing your, your journey and, and your passions and, what you kind of see the future to be. And I, I definitely can contest to that and align with a lot of things that you said. It's been a real honor. So again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Uh, is it just me or is, it, is your mind buzzing as well with inspiration? Because this podcast episode probably has more information in than I was ready for. And I have to say thank you, Dr. Brandy, for really gracing us with your wisdom and insights into what you've kind of learned throughout this. And I like to think of this almost like a five course meal for your mind or hopefully or I hope actually that you're walking away with feeling intellectually stuffed and spiritually energized. That'd be beautiful. Now, before you sprint off to implement all these incredible ideas and insights, don't forget to subscribe to the Art of Mindset podcast. Follow us, find us, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, yeah, basically any platform you can find. And if you really enjoyed it, please value the episode by giving us a five-star review. We always appreciate that, and it really helps kind of help boost the message of the Art of Mindset a little bit more into the world. And remember, your mindset is your greatest asset. So invest in it daily.